Expedition Belize, Hidden Pyramids Unveiled, with special guest Jared Murphy. Episode 51 of the live edition of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Live podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. All right, everyone. How's everybody doing out there? Michelle, come and join me. Well, I'm trying. <laughs> hey, what's going on? Um, You're sitting I, right over there. So, well, yeah. let's see. You've been marked safe from state testing, yep. and I'm a state testing survivor today. <laughs> yep. So, all right, everybody. Welcome to a special live edition of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. It is the 12th of April, 2023 at the time of this recording. And we are now live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. As always, after the live show, we'll be releasing this on all major podcasting flat platforms shortly afterwards. We are going to start things off by saying hi to the chat room tonight. And those that will be watching later, welcome and thank you for spending your Wednesday evening. Hey, guys. Saturday. Guy has woke up from one of his many daily naps. Hey, welcome, Guy. So, Guy's here. Dor Mom's here. Mom's here. Hey, so, Dorothy. Dorothy is here. Yep, good seeing you. So, yeah, so uh, we've got Jared Murphy will be joining us here shortly. So, if you want to ask questions, please make sure you put them in the chat in all caps. And Michelle will do her best to grab them and put them up on the screen. Yeah, and that's like my job tonight <laughs> yeah and we we decided to get really goofy so we were laughing a little bit earlier about the intro michelle recorded the audio of the title see i channeled jared because jared's got a good sense of humor so yes, yes. It, it was kind of like hmm maybe maybe something he would do um also want to give a shout out we've got mike j with us hey mike uh we've got our argentinian friend over in germany she is joining us tonight i'm always scared to pronounce the first name i will not butcher it we'll let wayne do that one um we've got diane with us who poor soul she's trying to watch three shows at once um who else we have we have well, missy overall, jane well yeah just real quick um Jared is simulcasting this over to his channel as well on Not Aliens. And so over there we have Stephen A has joined us and we got Missy Jane so far that has popped up. Now, if we do type into our chat in StreamYard, it only goes to our YouTube channel. So 
Um, but we will see yours from Jared's channel. So it's a little something they need to work out on yet and uh, get that figured out so that when we put into our chat, it goes to every YouTube channel's chat. But yeah, so yeah, what else, what else do we got going <laughs> Guys on? Guys asking what is God's favorite flavor of ice cream? Chocolate. Of course. <laughs> because I said so, chocolate. Simple answer. And I am God. <laughs> Not no, God, G-A-W-D. This is not, when the kids not, would go side-eye. Well, yeah, okay. So also don't forget, like, share, and subscribe out the show. We truly appreciate all the support you amazing people have shown us. Michelle, speaking of support. Oh, <laughs> sorry, I, I've been up since... Side four. eye. I have Side been eye. up since four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Speaking of support, we need to give a couple shout outs tonight. We've got Hava H for her continued support. And to our Patreon members, we've got Taven R. We've got Cheryl G. Thank you for your continued support. Uh, this podcast is here because of supporters like you. So if you out there would like to be a supporter, you can find, you know, PayPal, Patreon, our merch store. We've got all the links in the show description. Absolutely. So once again, tonight we have Jared Murphy joining us and um, we're going to be talking about the expedition to Belize that's about to happen now. Jared is mobile, um, but he's got his camera on. He's ready to go. And I think we need to bring him in here. So what do you think, Michelle? Should, should we let him in? Absolutely. Bring in the man of the hour. Or, All right, let's go. Two. Let's go. Here he comes. There he is. Jared Murphy, ladies hey. and gentlemen. It is, uh, hey, Jared. Hey, you are, uh, you guys took the cake with the uh, voiceover there and the uh, like that? intro. Um, and, and, and just like when they told Queen they were mad for having like a, a 14 minute long song or 11 minute, what, what, what possessed you guys to have the, uh, the intro that is so epic? Oh, well, that comes from using the original StreamYard when we were first figuring this out, the 30-second countdown. And by the time the countdown was done in StreamYard, it was already live. There was nothing. It just like, poof, you're here on YouTube. So it was like, no, no, no. We got to do a nice, epic, creepy, kind of paranormal kind of thing. And I'm constantly playing with it. So, you know. This uh, is all because you guys encountered a UFO. Yeah. God forbid you encounter a poltergeist in the house. Uh, yeah. For sale sign. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for, for sale, sale sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So today That's... our our show is uh, being simulcast, like I said earlier, to notaliens.com. It's also live on Twitter and out there on Facebook, in our Facebook group. So welcome, everybody, once again. And uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, just let Jared kind of start talking a little bit about what is coming up this week. This is very exciting. It's, uh, well, we call, we're calling this Expedition Belize. So, Jared, what is happening, man? It's so interesting. Over months, we have been gathering satellite imaging. We've been interfacing with the owner of the property, and we've been... Um, planning uh, a really fun trip that has actually already started, not because of my incredible background that is completely computer generated and I'm not actually sitting in a car. <laughs> However, the, uh, 
the work is already going on to, um, you know, there's a road, the, the property is many square miles. No one in a hundred years has really looked at it. It's been in the possession of um, uh, one party for almost 40 years. And yeah, so that's awesome. Dorothy, you get a partial sticker. The way this works, as I'm describing this, is there's actually a few, I don't know, Wayne, when did we start doing videos on this? A few months ago? Yeah, uh, it's been kind of top secret. I mean, there wasn't a lot that could be said at first until things were all put together. So, Yeah, and we are filming while we're down there. Um, it, it is a very large property that's on the ocean. And, you know, there's still a lot of things that we have to keep low key. Uh, this is a place that is, in, okay, so for all of you out there who don't know my background, I wrote a book called It's Not Aliens, Worse It's Us, Discovering Our Lost History. There's a new version of that coming out in color. So for those out there, the days are numbered of you scalping my old book for 180 to five or $800, I've heard. Yes, those it's, days are it's limited. crazy. Yeah. Uh, I know. You know, I should have sold my own extra copies. What was I thinking? <laughs> um, hey, I'm not going to uh, lie. I did the same thing with some old albums that I recorded that people were offering some crazy money for the original pressings and so uh yeah you know i did it that a yeah. little bit myself um is my sound coming through okay basically for yeah. being mobile mm -hmm. okay so basically in a nutshell the um um premise of our past is you know well the the story told of our past is different than what really looks like the premise which is large megalithic constructions with strange, mysterious nubs, keystone cuts, very interesting, no mortar, earthquake proof, among other thing, uh, magnetic, electromagnetic, uh, polygonal construction. There's um, very odd, uh, there's matching construction on every continent, likely underwater. And there's a thing that I discovered that is known in academia, but all over the earth, there's a engineered soil called Terra Preta. And it's a, there's different versions of it, but there's an identical version that's in South America that is also in uh, Central America where we're going. And it's already been found on the property where we're going. That's not a huge reveal, but well, it's kind of a big deal because it's in North Africa. It's in South Africa where I was visiting the stone circles. Um, what this uh, says though, where we're going about this mysterious area that has not been explored. It's not that there haven't been people traveling. Belize is not a big country. Uh, but uh, if you were looking for pre-dynastic, pre-Mayan, pre-Egyptian ruins, which the Mayans, like the Egyptians and the Greeks and everyone else, and, and in Japan, there are megalithic constructions that they added onto. And if you were to pick somewhere in Belize, that if you were going to look somewhere new and you weren't just looking for Mayan ruins, if you were looking for things that are older, and in this case, uh, the capacity for um, the nub, like the personalities of what's exactly on the Great Pyramid, we are finding uh, at the closest established uh, tourist sites, <clears throat> excuse me, they have those indicators of polygonal construction and there are people who will rate, this is so funny, for those that are not in the know, they will rate uh, two of the best sites as kind of boring because there's no statues of like 
Mayan gods, but there's all this polygonal construction that looks exactly like it's in Peru. And there's another set of ruins within 30 minutes of our property that has the nubs, the giant megalithic construction blocks, and they're all very, very close. And we are where there would be a lot of activity as a culture dynastically if you were coming in and finding ancient megalithic advanced human ancient human ruins which is part of my book and if you were going to as a survivor culture or as descendants of of now lost tribes of thousands tens of thousands or thousands of years you know pre-younger dryas post-younger dryas the Mayans came upon these ruins and they built and added on to them. So the really exciting, there's a couple layers, months of planning. There has been limited dialogue and conversation online, but Dorothy, uh, Jim and I on our Thursday chats have been talking a lot and Wayne has joined us for quite a few weeks. Um, I would say publicly, we've kind of scratched around the surface of this trip for about, um, I appreciate that. We are starting uh, field work with a group including Nikki Anna Jones, um, uh, Michael from Dark Hour Paranormal, um, you know Jim Goodall and I are going. Uh, there's a couple other researchers that have different backgrounds. I don't know how much they would. I mean, I think they would want me to talk about it. Uh, like the chorus, you know, Katie has uh, the chorus. Chorus, I think. dot com. There are a number of uh, researchers that are coming, and we're going to be looking at not only the dynastic. Um, you know, we're just going to be walking where they were. We're going to be in an area that no one's been. We have been looking at satellite imaging. And this uh, site kind of comes up on that. So Terra Preta is an engineered soil that there are academic papers that date it to six or 7,000. Not all of it, as in they don't want to touch it. It's a big white elephant in the room. So one of the things that happened was, was a well was dug recently on this property and I've been educating the owner about what Terra Preta is and you don't have to dig very far to go Belizean Terra Preta and then it comes up that it exists. They dug 11 feet and there was a very solid rich layer of what mm -hmm. appears to be Terra Preta. So yeah. the, ab the abandonment layer is at least 11 feet in this one area and then it could be 30 feet but we're talking about a product that could be, um, well, Terra Preta being engineered, as in someone had to lay it down, and it doesn't just grow the richest uh, vegetables and fruits and nutrient-dense stuff. It, it's that it filters heavy metal, it filters carbon dioxide, it has electromagnetic, you know, you, you know, you could transmit through this soil. So if you had large energy machines that are buildings that are also machines, they could communicate through the soil. So this area, dynastically, there are papers. And last, I mean, we've been working on this since November. I've been working on it since November. And there are, there are academic papers that indicate this is the heart of the Mayan Empire. Uh, there, this is an area that was known for cast uh, pipes or whistles and pottery that would have been probably sold up and down the coast. It's also a squeeze point. Uh, where if you were going from the Atlantic to the Pacific or Pacific to Atlantic, um, this would be actually a very good squeeze point to do that, kind of like a primitive um, Panama Canal. So we're looking at, from academic papers, two-ish to 3,000 years old. 
and that's dynastic. But then there are ruins that they're finding off the coast of Belize that are Mayan and they're underwater. And so does that date more to Doggerland era? Does that date to like 6,000, 8,000 years? And, and as you know, they've been finding ruins, which I wrote about in Not Aliens, which will be in the updated book, but the Guatemalan uh, LIDAR scans, which we haven't heard a lot about in the last couple of years, but they found 60,000 buildings. The archaeologists started stating we've grossly underestimated the continents um, just in Central America. They said there could be like 20 million people. Um, that's, I think, a gross under, underestimate. So <laughs> we're talking about an area that's probably never not been occupied. It's the oldest part of the Mayan Empire, including now we have the mysterious ruins off the coast that could be even more thousands of years old, but they are they look Mayan. But then you have these megalithic nubs and constructions and polygonal blocks. Well, that's all pre-dynastic. It's all pre-Mayan. And the fact that there's only these small sections left of these buildings, and we're going to be filming, experimenting, and just touring on one hand like everyone else. And then the stuff that we're going to do to look at these ruins that could be, you know, aligned with the Sphinx, aligned with Oliante Tambo and Saxe Woman and uh, Machu Picchu, those kind of famous things that you can think of, or the Great Pyramid or Angkor Wat, everywhere that you see the nubs, the polygonal construction, all over the world, you know, Sardinia, um, probably the cap, I mean, well, not the capital, but just mass amount of exactly this kind of construction that all goes and predates anything that has to do with the Mayans, the Olmecs, the Toltecs, the Egyptians, the Greeks, uh, dynastic uh, Japan, China. This is all pre those histories. So the age of those things, I would argue as well, pre Younger Dryas. Yeah, but, it's older than 12,000 years. It's got to be. Yeah, they had to so, be there yeah. first to get covered up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but uh, Miss Del Rio had a question for you there, Jared. Um, that you mentioned it is um, a similar culture, that there's a similar culture in South America. Right. She's wondering where, where at precisely. Okay, so this goes back to why I wrote my first book. I had it written down what I was going to do. Two, three days into studying, I see a show about Colonel Percy Fawcett, and he was played by Brad Pitt in a movie called Lost City of Z. So for those of you that don't know, it's not a spoiler because it's history and that's, I don't, they still made a good movie out of it, but Colonel Percy Fawcett surveyed Brazil for the British government and he saw pottery shards and he swore he found a city and he wanted to go back to that city. And then he went back with his son, some friends got lost in the jungle and was never seen again. And that's the movie, but it's worth watching. And there's a city, well, a village by a tribe that they still call him the Colonel to this day. And there was a documentary and this archeologist pulls their boat over on the Amazon in Brazil and says, Hey, look, this is Terra Preta. First time I ever hear of it. And this is going to turn into three and a half years of research on top of all the other research and work I've ever done. And she goes, well, it can be 15 feet thick. Uh, nobody knows how to make it. Soil scientists have looked at it for a hundred years. Um, uh, there are 
all the properties are listed. You know, it can filter heavy metal and carbon dioxide and it's super rich growing soil. Oh, it self-replicates. It, 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 it maintains itself. Oh, it's a mystery. Well, anyway, let's go look where Colonel Percy Fawcett disappeared. Let's go visit yeah, the village. Just, just dropped it. <laughs> dropped and you're it like, like a hot potato. <laughs> and, and you're like, wait. And then they said, so then they said, oh, the other thing they said was, oh, hey, it's in an area twice, uh, like from what we can guesstimate now, the Terra Preta in Brazil alone is twice the size of Spain. And that's just what they're guessing at. It's not like they have a Terra Preta guy plugging around the ground going, yep, more over here. Meanwhile, it's in Central America. And they're like, uh, very nonchalant. This is what blows my mind. And no one addresses it. The identical Terra Preta, the Portuguese uh, black earth, black soil, that's in uh, Brazil, the identical recipe from as best they can tell is in North Africa. It's in uh, South Africa, exactly where I was where the stone circles were uh, that Michael Tellinger talks about. I was there with him. We were, we were, we were doing work for about a month and uh, it's the same recipe. So it's like saying Starbucks, 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 when there weren't supposed to be like, any Starbucks and B, they're not supposed to be intercontinental. Right. Meanwhile, Brazil has the Bay of Amphora jars and there is clear indication of Roman trade to Brazil. And, the, and not only are the Romans doing it, but there's 12th century writings of, about the Irish monks with the, pap with the papacy saying, well, like, how was your trip to the Americas? Or how are things going with the Americas? And it's like, wait a minute, they're already going to, we're talking North America, they're going to America in the 1200s. And so, again, I digress, but the Terra Preta that's in Brazil is also in Central America. There, And then my research put it, well, they said it was in North, in the show, even they're like, well, it's in Africa too. And then biochars, man-made biochars. So we, we make modern versions of, it's not a compost. It's like a combo of burnt trees and vegetations with um, nutrients. And they, they're trying to mimic it. But even with electron microscopes and various modern techniques, they just can't, they don't entirely know the recipe. There's one experiment going on by, I think, Cornell, where they have not, rotated the crop. One of the things we know about crops, if you don't rotate it, the nutrients go away. Well, they've been using Terra Preta. They've been experimenting. I think it's been over 17 years now and it's not depleting the nutrients at all. So this is some really advanced stuff. And yet it's one of the biggest elephants in the room and everyone's going on like we're connecting the Anunnaki and, 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 <laughs> and oh my gosh, I can't digress into this right now, but yeah. Well, uh, just real quick, Dorothy brings up a, a point, and I think you're going to smile at this, Jared. She says, weird. There's a place named Black Earth near here, universally known for its great soil. And then Michelle asked her, well, where, where at, Dorothy? What are you talking about? And she says, I'm living on the edge of Madison, Wisconsin. Black Earth is about 25 miles west of here. Uh, care to elaborate? You want Dorothy to elaborate? No, you. <laughs> um, so what's really interesting, there is um, 
uh, one of the one of the great people I've worked with, Barbara Charlton, she uh, she has uh, there is unglaciated land in Minnesota and Wisconsin. And Wisconsin, Western Wisconsin, is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. I'm not exaggerating. This is where Frank Lloyd Wright, the uh, literally the invent. I mean, in many cases, one would argue um, modern modern architecture as we know it he changed and his home is in the heart of western wisconsin near it's spring green and this is land that the glaciers did not bowl down so what's really interesting about this is that we have uh things like i apologize i think there's um i should have had this on silent anyway there is clear indication that there is a land that could have been uh, being harvested and used by a pre-dynastic group of people, not survivors of a flood, not, I mean, maybe survivors of a cataclysm, but on the tops of some plateaus of, of what are now hills, pre-glacial periods were and, and during the glacier period, they were never cut down or, or destroyed. So they have really rich black earth. And these chernozems, uh, that's another version of, of these uh, soils. It's a type of soil. The reality is that they're saying it's not a bunch of dead dinosaurs and leaves and composting that's made this happen. What's made it happen is someone made it. And it's in Siberia. It's all over, uh, ironically right now, not the reason Ukraine's in the news, but I think some people understand that Ukraine, just like Wisconsin and Minnesota and the breadbasket in America, Ukraine is literally the breadbasket yep. of Europe. And there's a reason in my book, way before anything happened in Ukraine, ironically, there is a black market for the dirt because it has the same rich properties as what you find in Brazil, what you find in North Africa and Liberia and in uh, other countries where I think it's even in the desert, but we can get into the details of that later. But yeah, you are exactly right. This, there's something, I grew up in Minnesota. There is something over organically ridiculous about the soils and whether or not in our minds, we think, oh, rich growing soil, well, they grew a lot of food what we might not be understanding is that they may have engineered that soil because what they really wanted to do was control that heavy metal system, that carbon dioxide system. We are all trying to figure out, uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to bring global warming even as a subject into this, but for all of you listening, think about a society that dialed in and terraformed the planet to the point where they accounted for, exactly that they accounted for carbon dioxide and heavy metals and rains or whatever they actually produced thousands of square miles of soil that managed all of it all over the planet uh, the entire human population today can be fit in two and a half texases i don't think people get that there we're you can give everyone an acre and put them in two and a half texases and on an acre farm there's plenty of YouTube. If you guys for giggles want to look up profitable one acre farms, there are farms on YouTube on the East Coast, CSMs that are making two, three hundred plus thousand a year 
off of an acre producing. So just imagine if you gave every human being an acre and they lived in two and a half Texases, what is a society? How big is the society? Our very assumptions that we're the biggest we've ever been oh, on the yeah. planet. Yeah. So there's my, there's my next diatribe. Yeah. Of digression. Well, <laughs> and just before I jump into Dorothy's next comment, you know, Michelle and I fly out West. We like to go out to Bullhead city and then we jump the Colorado river and go right to Laughlin and, you know, play in the sand and, you know, enjoy laid back the river. gambling, a little bit of gambling, <laughs> nothing major. But all you got to do is fly in an airplane on a clear day and look down and you're mainly flying over empty space. I mean, everybody's crowded into these cities. And yeah, of course, people are going to say, oh, look, it's overpopulated. But yeah. stop extrapolating that out to the whole planet. Our, our country's only about 87 percent, 88 percent settled. I mean, the rest of it's wildland. So, well, um, settled, settled, yeah, settled and occupied are two different I, things, you know. True. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, Australia is, I think, the number they gave. There's 22 million people. You have a continent that has, I think, they were at 78 percent unoccupied by humans. And yeah. and Minnesota, I mean, I can tell you from driving through Wyoming alone, you know, we're doing good for land. Yeah. Well, Dorothy has said here that she lives in Western Wisconsin and LaForge, Wisconsin, home of Organic Valley products. And she also had said something earlier about uh, mound builder culture there as well. So if that area was not really uh, decimated basically by, you know, the glaciers, you know, coming down and receding and coming down and receding and doing that over and over in these interglacial times, um, if that, that's, you know, probably the land that the early American natives were living on. So if that's the case, or if they engineered it, or maybe even used it from a prehistory, because I don't know, Jared, have we ever found anything that Native Americans that are understanding um, within that time frame of a couple thousand years knew how to do this to the soil? No, so there's a, okay, so there's a, they're getting into the nuances of it. There's a technique in South America called slash and burn. And that it's kind of like, well, it's kind of like composting, but you're, that's a different technique than what the Terra Preta is. Cause it's, it, again, it has these self-replicating properties. It's not like you need to add more mulch or that you need more dead fish and it's going to like grow again. And, you know, you need to fertilize it or, or add nutrient density to it it seems to be on some nano level functioning um, as a bio cocktail that was engineered by somebody pretty damn smart slash and burn where you're, you're taking organics and you're like, again, burning and making biochars and, and, and re uh, again, readapting the soil that the, South American jungle system, Central American jungle system is considered a wet desert. It was thought that, you know, hey, you can't really grow anything here, which is ironic because there's lots of plants. So why did they say it like that? But then um, Mm -hmm. ironically, you know, there was all this like save the rainforest because it's uh, allegedly untouched. And lo and behold, leave it to loggers and they're clearing the land and they're finding... Uh, this was as early as the uh, late 80s and 90s, 
they were finding massive earthwork villages, massive um, earthwork uh, remains of channels and systems that showed occupation in areas that they thought were virgin ground, and in reality were fully occupied by prior human civilizations where the land that was supposed to be a triple canopied raw jungle was in fact an overgrown uh, abandoned whole city or village yeah. and i'm not neither here nor there other than for this dialogue it just indicates how little we know about our past and that's dynastically and that's not even the point it's like they're adding slash and burn technique to create some nutrient areas on the soil that they can grow some things out of. Meanwhile, 12 feet or 11 feet or 10 feet below them, or maybe when they started, they had access to something like Terra Preta. Or, and, and again, this is vast areas of land that are being estimated that have this soil on it. And again, of the recipe in Brazil, it matches Africa, North and South. It's the same manufacturer from what they could tell. Yeah. But then there's other biochars and those include things in, in, in Wisconsin and, and Minnesota. And so ironically, I'm going to Belize and I should probably just stop backyard it in the, uh, the next housing development. And where I grew up, it was all sod farms as black as soil you've ever seen. Yeah. I'm, I'm, what's that question? I was okay. So I know it's a long, long one, and there's a little bit more in chat that I can fill you in on. All right, we'll we'll so, we'll, we'll bang these out fast. Okay, so Dorothy says to the east of me, by about thirty miles, is as Talon, a settlement of indigenous peoples from before Wisconsin was Wisconsin, possibly connected to Cahokia. Also, she said that there is a pyramid in a lake nearby. So she yeah. said that Scott Walter from University yeah, um, of Minnesota did an episode on yeah, that pyramid. That's where this has all sounded familiar to me. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that lake is, a, that's about two and a half hours from the Twin Cities. Uh, Scott Walter, America Unearthed. Uh, Scott's pretty cool. And uh, he uh, did an episode. It is available. I know you can watch it. It's a history two thing, but there's a whole episode about that. And then, um, uh, Aslan, uh, one of the theories is corn. Well, this is a fact. Corn has to be maintained by humans. And uh, Scott points out that there, well, Scott interviewed a researcher that has been studying some of the corn in Wisconsin. And for sure, one of the strains of corn has been for sure maintained for at least 8,000 years. Wow. And, and there's no like bees pollinating corn. So for those of you out there who want to digress into that, it has to be maintained by man. It just doesn't naturally happen. This corn is man-maintained and an 8,000-year-old variety. Someone <laughs> planted it. Just a little bit. In Wisconsin. Yeah. In Wisconsin. Yep. And, and, and he jumps. Now, Scott jumps to the theory that does that mean that some of the references for the Mayan slash Aztec slash Central South American, that they were as far north and that they were um, planting. And and then Mayan blue, the color Mayan blue, nobody knows where the Mayans got blue, that's with right. possibly Georgia. And so that that's all very interesting dynastic stuff. Uh, the question is, who are the Mayans to come in on an abandoned uh, 
you know, city that had megalithic blocks and the Terra Preta was already there. Yeah. Where, where are those ancient advanced humans? And, and then you have modern work. So you have people doing modern farming and they don't know anything about the history, just like there's lots of wonderful, well, and also as bloody and as warlike or worse than any medieval European, uh, the, America was not all flowers and bees and hummingbirds. It was a land of some very violent people who oh, were yeah. killing each other for thousands of years. Um, and, you know, for references, watch Ken Burns, you know, West. Um, you learn a lot about it then. But you have a pre-dynastic society, at least then pre-Mayan, pre-whatever, building very advanced soils and constructions and we don't have any eyes on that no idea and we don't acknowledge that we don't put it in the vernacular and we have to put it in the vernacular and and the sight lines of not the facts you want to find to support your theories which boy the three of us could sing a song about <laughs> so all right jared so when are you leaving for belize I can neither confirm nor deny I will be gone most of or all of next week and okay. the following week. So, all right. So, well, I do want to give a quick shout out to the chat rooms in both channels. So thank you everybody for joining us once again and getting this uh, last minute information before Jared and the, the crew head off to Belize to check out these newly discovered pyramids um, so what do we have here? Miss Danielle says, mm -hmm. think the Mayans went to inner earth or became ETs and moved to outer lands beyond the ice wall. Interesting. In Game of Thrones. Uh, that's what it sounds like. Beyond the I ice know. wall. Um, I like that. <laughs> the, uh, the, so something we haven't talked about are cenotes and there are mm. these, uh, the Mayans use them for sacrifices and stuff like that problem you may all remember and recall maybe from ancient origins uh the news site and uh research site ancient origins uh gosh it's been almost three years i think there was a story that was released uh they found in a cenote underwater basically it, a little awkward it was a human remain that was under a stalactite and that's a problem because uh, it had to have already been sacrificed or fallen in. And then you have the, the remains um, in a position where they, at a minimum, had to be 12 or 18,000 years old. And so that, that's problematic. Uh, to the story of the Clovis, which is a made-up name for anyone prior to it in uh, what we call indigenous it's very misleading. There's no indigenous people to America or to South America. They didn't all come from a land bridge. We're talking from the Guatemalan lighter grounds, tens to twenties, to hundreds, forget that, hundreds of millions of people, possibly, that were living in massive cityscapes that were only just starting to uncover through LIDAR an actual honest investigation. But we have people like Michael Cremo in his 80s who has championed Virginia Steam McIntyre and the ruins in Weyotlaco, Mexico that are 
um, at least, uh, well, let's see. The estimates when she originally found it and then got ostracized for it was 275, 275 to 350,000 years old. The estimates now are 350 to at least a half a million years old. This is a human site found in northern central Mexico called Huelaco. And then you have the father of South American archaeology from Germany discussing in lecture, which I write about in It's Not Alien. So everyone can reference all this stuff and then go down their own rabbit holes and the new book will be out. Uh, apparently I'm running into Belize first, but the reality is they knew that not only did the Chinese and Asia travel along South, Central, and the West Coast of America, they knew they were doing that over 400 years ago. They knew that they had found mastodons and they had found human ruins under that, that clearly showed that humans had occupied South America, possibly and Max is acknowledging, well, this mastodon and where this human is indicate that humans would have been, modern anatomically correct humans would be existing in the Pliocene. Well, that's not acceptable. Well, we'll just throw it out. Like, like he talks it out in his yep. own lecture. So they, they find the mastodons living way earlier when they were supposed to be extinct. They're finding the humans. They're finding way at Laco, Mexico. There's lava there's lava flows over abandoned 35 foot soil layers. So it's pyramid, 35 years of dirt, and then a lava flow over pyramids that are in, you know, it's been a while since I've talked about this, but this is, uh, this is a find that was in the 1922 April edition of the National Geographic. Go grab a copy. I actually have the copy and I found it by accident, but, we clearly don't have eyes on the history of our truly megalithic ancient terraforming, literally planetary terraforming ancient past. And that's what this trip and all the more will be about. It's how do we openly acknowledge all the strange facts and put them into a greater story that's going to show who and what we really were or and are, and how does that help us with modern medicine and modern brain entrainment and modern consciousness and modern, how do we reactivate what is now in our subconscious? We have a full brain and it's being used. It's just not being used consciously. I don't know if I put everyone to sleep after that. Jeez. I I don't think so. The chat room, <laughs> you probably don't, you don't see it, but the chat room has been very active. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's something that happened in why we can't focus some group. Well, I guess our group now is focusing on this and looking at what was going on before all of this stuff. I, I honestly believe that they have come up with this story about our history and they've seriously like terra preta they've engineered a story that's very easy for humans to be half numb to believe about our history i mean all you got to do is look at some of these megalithic sites in south america peru and you know geez i mean how do you get granite stone to fit perfectly with copper chisels that would just disintegrate on granite 
it just it's not doable same thing in in uh um egypt and all over the place we have these megalithic sites and it's like it's right there in front of your face but people just shrug their shoulders and go uh well here's a little uh a little bronze thing so that that must be what happened you know that's how they did this uh and and they're you know they killed all the the mastodons too you know with little atlatls i mean ran them off cliffs you know or or you know they're scaring little humans are scaring multi-ton elephants in herds scaring them off of a cliff that's hilarious (laughs) well there's always the you know for all of us that have been really trying to bang our heads on this we always end up with the you know for those that are very practical practical that are afraid to look at the truths of it they say well like they use slaves and it's not a question it's it's not a question of weight it's a question of the complexity of the finish the hardness of what they're manipulating which almost like like they're turning into marshmallows and not only that they're shaping it to a pattern that they know cancels earthquake frequencies that requires machines that read earthquake frequencies that are thousands of miles away underground they're building a massive construction that involves the the shape of the building itself canceling yeah and the stones that we're looking at that are in this photograph for everyone listening some of these are 100 tons some of them are uh there's one that is over 700 tons, but these are multi-sided, perfectly fit together, no gaps, and they cancel earthquakes. And here's the thing, the rumors are that the ruins you're looking at are actually 40 feet, uh, that there's 40 feet below ground. So there's an abandonment layer where we think we're walking at the foundational level. And the reality is that like, so what you're looking at now is actually over, in fact, the exact image you're looking at now, I don't know if I'm too far on the delay, But if we zoomed in, there is one stone directly in front of us that's estimated to be almost 800 tons. And that's one of them in the middle of the wall that's in the middle of the wall that we're looking at. So be um, the the middle section. It's actually not the corner. It's to the left of where you were circling. And it's in the first row. And it's like the middle stone. And there are people who will stand in front of it. And it's taller than most people. It's probably like 9 or 10 feet tall. And the estimation is that it's over 700 to 800 tons. Yeah, and so, just so people know what we're looking at here, I pulled up some pictures of uh, megalithic sites, and this is Sacsayhuaman. Sacsayhuaman, yeah. Yeah, in Cusco. Yeah, and, the, and the Spanish were so upset about this because it contradicted Catholicism and it contradicted Christianity, and it was so complex. They were so afraid of it, they actually spent time trying to blow it up and destroy it with dynamite. They yeah, I'm tried trying to, to find they, a good, a good image of somebody standing in front of these. I mean, these blocks are amazing. They're huge, and but and they're the construction right there that cracks me up. This obviously is much older, <laughs> and then you see yeah, like then, this fill-in area right here. It's yeah, like, then we're yeah. Come on, people! It's like watch what we can do now. <laughs> Yeah, right. Th- this is this is 
a lot later technology. You can look and see the gaps in the rocks. They're not formed or anything. And then you look at the megalithic structures here and they're, they're almost like, they almost look like they were shaped when they were lava. They're, they're pillowy. You know, they look yeah. like they have some rounded edges and you cannot fit a, a playing card in between those. I mean, how do you, how do you do this down here? Like that joint, you have two megalithic rocks on top of a single one and it's been molded so that they fit. Yeah, and Perfect. they're not four-sided. They're, they're, no. There's nothing that's less than six or eight-sided. Some are 15. Uh, there's a one on the Bolivian dollar that I think is 32-sided. Yeah, this, this stuff is amazing. And hello to Barry in chat, by the way. So good seeing you. But, yeah, I mean, come on. And has anybody looked underneath them? No, no that's why I so the estimation is that apparently some of these walls go down 40 feet or more. And so if you dig that, that's problematic. So we're looking at a dynastic layer that maybe the Incas, the Mayans, whatever, fill in the blank, uh, Olmecs, Toltecs, somebody was using these and they adapted them. But if they really do go 40 feet down, uh, are we really looking at the top of a 10 story building or, okay, so 40 feet. So let's just say they're yeah. 60 feet. So, this is six. Uh, so what's the actual foundational layer? This is one of the things I've been theorizing for a long time is that if we core sampled and looked at the compaction layers, the complexity of not only the type of stone that they're using uh, and shaping, there is going to be a very complex construction of the different foundational layers, the densities, the thicknesses, the type of stone uh, that they're crushing and or uh, nanotechnology, anything that they're using to build this wall on that it doesn't lose its level and that it works with earthquakes and that it never like, you look, we can't build a house. Yeah. I, I'm sure there's people out there from Wisconsin and onward. If you've been in a hundred year old farmhouse, they tend to not stay level and flat. And you have a real fun factor walking through the dining room to the living room, the way the floors are bending and bowing. And here we have perfectly straight constructions with no maintenance on them. And even if the original level is 40 feet or 60 feet below, there you go. What that's the stone. That stone is seven, uh, 20 or seven seventy tons, 770, 720, somewhere in there. It isn't this what they, they referred to as the, one of the famous Puma paw, paws because you can see the, it looks like a paw. Stare right. longer and you'll see either Obi-Wan Kenobi or a sailboat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pareidolia, people, pareidolia. Uh, well, <laughs> oh, wait a minute, though. Wait a minute. Look up right here. That's how big these things are. There's people, that half of a half of a torso of somebody standing up there. That's how yeah. big those rocks are. Yeah. And what we're looking at then is if, if what if these constructions where I was going with the 40, 60 feet, what if these were abandoned for thousands of years and to get 40 feet of soil accumulation to get to this level, we are still not understanding what are the finishing layers. They didn't have the technology to stack this kind of stone, this complexly, uh, complexly, Complexly? Is that a word? Um, it is, yeah. I digress. Okay. Uh, the complexity of this, what about giant redwood trees? What were they harvesting 
6,000 or 5,000 or I know dynastically, these are just a few hundred years old. It's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard in my life. Right. But in reality, the society that's building a six, say it was 60 feet. Well, then what were the finishing stones, uh, metal, plaster, siding, glass, you name it. What were the, what were the technological layers that finished what could have been the foundational layer of right now we're building for those of you around the country that haven't noticed, we've been building apartment style lofts in and around this country at a rate that is just incredible. Cause I don't know who can afford $2,000 a month for a one bedroom, but they're building these buildings where it's 20, 30 feet of the first floor, all concrete for the commercial residential entries. And then they're doing eight, 10 stories of, uh, all wood construction. So what we're looking at in this photo, imagine 10 or 20 more stories made out of giant redwood beams that are supported on a, on a, on a, a base that is basically earthquake proof, only made out of wood with different finished materials. They didn't just know how to do this to stone and not know how to work complexly with other, not only natural materials, but with whatever would have been the, their version of metal siding, plastic siding, whatever it is, we don't have eyes on it. Yeah. I think, I think we take it for granted that we're looking at, oh yeah, they were really good with stone, but didn't know shit about wood. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, because they were megalithic, don't you know? Yeah, you know, they'd like them stones. How about a loot? Would you like some more tater tot hot dish, you know? <laughs> well, um, well, you know, uh, Dorothy had asked a few minutes ago, she asked, they, these rocks are granite, correct? And No, uh, they're a variety. Yeah. There's a var it's a mixture, but very, very hard. Yeah, now... Uh, Dr. Joseph David Ovitz and his archaeological group wrote a paper, presented it, and it was even um, at the request of the government. Uh, what they were doing was looking at geopolymers. So the Geopolymer Institute, so the father of geopolymers, again, this is also in my book. It's not aliens, but again, wait for the new one, and you'll want it as a reference material book. But I I'm saying that because it's important to these, like, uh, like, oh my gosh, we're firing through a bunch of stuff. Everyone's going at their own pace. But I do go into this. And Dr. Joseph David Ovitz invented geopolymers in 1972-ish. And so basically, if you walk on a concrete sidewalk, live in a house with a foundation, ever tile your bathroom or your kitchen, geopolymers are used to change the bindability of what used to be just basic concrete are now these complex mastics over the last 30 years or well since 72 the the complexity of geopolymers is to create uh, strength in cold in heat flexibility there's a million different ways to use geopolymers and what we're looking at uh and in these constructions were tested by the geopolymer institute dr joseph david ovitz who's still active and has a uh, kind of a reverse engineering archaeological uh, society, well, a, a business of it out of, based out of Florida, actually, even though he's French and he's won every award, well, whatever, he's father geopolymers. So Tiwanaku to Sacsayhuaman 
uh, Oleante Tambo, all of it is uh, sites that have uh, signs that some of these things are cast, that they're made out of geopolymer, they're, they're a mix. They're not just a stone that they found and shaped, but that they were actually cast because there was organics in them. And that means that someone had to mix them in a slurry to turn them into what they are, cast them into what they are. That's and what they that's, look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they look softened or they look like they were liquid at a time. Yeah. Now, Dr. I, I know we've talked about it before, but Dr. Joseph Davidovitz did the same research on the parts of the Great Pyramid have geopolymer on them. So you're working as a society that's been around for maybe hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of years. Again, this is a society I'm proposing they on occasion need to fix things or stuff gets hit by a meteor. And then they're patching these large buildings and these large buildings, uh, you know, just like anything else need maintenance. So the geopolymer may not be uh, as in a poured concrete may not be an explanation for built. We're always looking. It's really hard for all of us to turn it off and go, how do they build this without thinking about the fact that, wait, how long did they maintain it? How long before they had to resurface it? How many times did they put a new patch on the top of it or something? You know, it's, it's all things that you have to consider before you jump to, well, how did they build it? It's like that has nothing to do with how they uh, may or may not have maintained necessary repairs and used these period geopolymers. And, and, and so if we see an organic like at Tiwanaku, I'm bringing that up because he was hired by Peru to do the, ex, uh, to do the investigations of the casting of the stones we're looking at, Oluyate Tambo. But at Tiwanaku, they did find organics within some of the material that they thought was cast, and they were coming up with ages of like, they had revised aging, uh, three and a half uh, to 5,000 years old. And the question is, who was doing it then? The people trying to rebuild it? Was that part of that advanced ancient survivor culture that was thinking, well, you know what, we could still like live in the mountains here. None of these like survivor tribes that we've kind of left on their own will ever find us or bother us. So I don't know. Those are food for thought. Well, to your point, I mean, we're seeing that right now in modern day Egypt where they are constantly working on the Sphinx. That, I know. That, well, that's all being repaired. The, that whole outside of that, the body of the lion is all modern fill in the blanks. I think they're basically doing it to cover up passages that are underneath there. I mean, well, they know there's tunnels. Uh, well, so there's a big chamber. So something I don't dwell on too long because I found out, I'm like, okay, I got to move on. Uh, there was a little while where, yeah, so there was like, there was a collapsing of the Sphinx and it was because there was a chamber under it and it was a fairly large chamber and it was a French architect that was brought in and people are going to have to look back into this because it was like not, oh, the obsession with the, and under the Sphinx are like uh, books of knowledge and yeah. oh God, uh, just drive me bananas. But uh this architect was brought in and this will make everyone mad. Uh, their solution to stopping the sinks from collapsing, this architect's solution was to fill the chamber with concrete. So, yeah. yep. 
So that happened, and that happened a long time ago. That was a French uh, architect engineer that came up with that solution. So whether there's multiple chambers or whether it was like there's different rooms and there was there was like one big chamber, they it is relatively open knowledge that that this French architect was brought in and did this. And, and again, it was over 100 years ago. Um, I don't remember the dates. It was a long time ago. But again, it's like baffling that, well, if you could concrete it in, wouldn't you want to like try to support it, not seal it up? Like, like yeah. what was in there? And there's too many mysteries around, like this is a whole nother topic for us. There's too many mysteries where mercury, like things that you're doing in these pyramid buildings when we talk frequency energy buildings, there's too many indicators. Are they diodes? Are they part of a circuit grid? Are they a resistor? Are they a capacitor? Are they all the above? Are they running current? Are they jumping currents? Are they creating wave frequency energy? Are they doing stuff underground, above ground? Are they creating ozone? There's like a million different directions you go with what the pyramids are doing, but we're not, ha we're not having a full picture if we're not acknowledging the full complexity of a society that's terraforming a planet that has soil and other sands. Like I'm, I'm saying, we're talking about Terra Preta, but we're talking about a society that's using uh, not only soils, but I think other sands and elements that we're taking for granted are natural, that they're spreading and terraforming in a way that's allowing constant physical communication without maybe the really detrimental uh, electronic um, dissipate. Well, you, you guys, you could go into Wayne. How healthy is it for all of us to be walking under power lines? Mm, not very much considering electromagnetic frequencies that are happening off of those lines, but the and, big, and, the very big ones, man, are not good. And so if we're living in or near those, my brother lived in under one of those massive ones for sadly 12 years. Wow. And you got to wonder, what was it like when they were doing, um, you know, like right now, if we're, we're densely populated under really a bombardment of that kind of energy. So what if we were once way more densely populated in a pre-dynastic, pre-younger, you know, 12,000 year ago time where these megalithic builders that are building not only the pyramid, you know, some sort of energy, God knows what else machines, and they're using materials that have turned to dust so again we're looking at the large stone stuff saying our image of that society is strictly based on oliante tambo sakse woman machu right. Picchu, the great pyramid where they're clearly using frequency energy technology so they have machines we don't understand they're using moving things that we don't understand or how to do they're terraforming the planet with engineered soil we don't know how to make and it's everywhere well, what are all those other buildings and what their society would have looked like and the massive scale of it is so beyond us just staring at a very complex stone construction to yeah. where we're just know, seeing not... the leftover bones basically. Yeah. And so we build it. I, I like that we dig into it. I, we, this is our dialogues. This is our world. We have to start with what we got. But I think it's super important to connect all these dots by throwing the facts on the table so that we don't get so narrowed in that we're so hyper-focused on what, what, what just the constructions themselves, what, what we're left with. But 
I do think from an anthropological standpoint, it matters to like back off and imagine, whoa, these people were, they were not in loincloths and there were a lot more buildings and there was probably a lot more on top of these buildings. Yep. We're like, oh yeah, well, they, they got up that stone that far and then they built a thatched roof. Right. <laughs> right. Yep. All right, Jared. Look, we're at uh, about an hour and 10 minutes here. So why don't we go ahead and take about a six minute break or so. We got a couple of commercials. We're going to help promote a, a couple of uh, contact in the desert type of things and a Pennsylvania con that's going to be going on. All right. Run, grab something to drink and give everybody a little break to stretch their legs. Are you good to come back in in about uh, six minutes or so? And we'll start oh. wrapping this up. Yeah, sounds good. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to send Jared to the back for right now. And Michelle and I are going to take a quick break. And we'll be back. And we're going to talk more about, yeah, about six minutes. So, Belize. We're going to have Belize. More stuff in Belize. And if you got some questions about what the expedition's actually going to be doing and some of their experiments, throw that in chat because that's one of the things I'm going to be asking. Some of the first things they want to do. So, all right, everybody, we will see you in just a few moments. Hang tight. Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well then, you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive. With daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family, you will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit! The ninth annual Contact in the Desert Conference happens the weekend of June 2nd at the beautiful Renaissance Resort near Palm Springs, California. Join me, George Norrie, to discover what's next from speakers such as Graham Hancock, Richard Dolan, Nick Pope, Stephen Bassett, and over 50 other top researchers. Come make contact with new friends and discover the latest fascinating information from the fields of UFO studies, artificial intelligence, psychic phenomenon, and more. Reserve your seat now at contactinthedesert.com.
There is four minutes left to this break. Three minutes left everybody, just three minutes. Two minutes left, everybody. Get ready. Two minutes. One more minute and we are back. One more minute.
All right, everybody, we're back. Okay, everybody, we are back. And uh, just real quick, I would be remiss if I did not talk about what we have coming up on the show. So this com- this is a special, just a special uh, interview we're doing with Jared because he is getting ready to leave on this Belize expedition, which we're going to dive deep here in one minute. But this Saturday coming up is going to be an amazing show because our work with Contact in the Desert has set us up with a amazing guest. So this Saturday, April 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern, on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook, we're going to have the amazing Stephen Bassett with us talking about contact in the desert, disclosure, uh, new information. So, um, yeah, that's going to be amazing. So Stephen Bassett will be our episode 52 this Saturday live at 4 p.m. Eastern. Usually we do, and this is to a, uh, somebody's question. I think that was, uh, it was Mike, Mike J asking about, um, do we do shows on the weekends? Generally we do a show once a week now, every Saturday at 8 PM Eastern. Um, and you know, we see how things go, what kind of guests we can get lined up. Sometimes it might just be us. We might have our local friends come on and have a chat, but we're always talking about ancient history, UFOs, paranormal stuff, all of it. So, um, let's see what else. Oh, another guest i'm super excited for speaking of saturdays the 22nd of april at 2 p.m because our guest is going to be joining us from the uk one of our uk friends and that is colin saunders who wrote the book black triangles over the uk so colin sanders will be joining us and if you join our youtube channel you'll see all of our upcoming shows already listed And then the last Saturday of the month, the 29th of April at 8 p.m., episode 54, we're going to have back on the show the author of the book, Swamp Gas My Ass. Oh, yeah. You know where that comes from. J. Allen Hynek coming here to Michigan in 1966, trying to explain away about three weeks to a month of UFO flaps that were going on around here, spotted by uh, you had local sheriffs, police, 150 co-eds watching these UFOs zip around the sky and fighter jets that were dispatched from a local uh, Air Force base or a National Air Guard base and intercepted some of these UFOs, got them on radar, And Ray was fortunate enough to interview the lead pilot of those intercepting aircraft. So if you go on our Facebook group, you will see where um, Colonel Carroll, his last name was Carroll, read a statement that he wrote before he passed away, talking about how he gave Ray permission to... um, release his, I always want to say confession, testimony, to release his testimony about what him and his wingman intercepted over 
the area of Dexter and Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, and unfortunately he had passed away, but, uh, yeah, so that's going to be awesome. Um, and he says that he is breaking some brand new news about the 1966 Michigan UFO flap. And, uh, he wants to break it on our show first. So that will be live once again, April 29th at 8 PM Eastern. So we really hope that everybody that's here will join us. And, uh, and Diana, nothing to be embarrassed about. I think that's what our history books taught us. Because yeah. I remember hearing the same thing when I was young as far as how the pyramids were were being built. Oh, yeah. At the it was time. always slaves, right? Yeah. It was always slave well, it labor. Was, it was what was always depicted in pictures, too. Yeah. That they were being pushed or they were being drugged. It notice, was like a huge game of tug of war. You notice how they always made the pictures kind of look like they were related to hieroglyphs? Like almost like it would have been like official writing mm -hmm. that there were these slaves. And then you come to find out they were an actual workforce. And if you do the math, it turns out that like every one minute or something like that for 25 years, you would have to be moving these multi-ton blocks constantly, 24 hours a day, right? For 25 years, every minute have one block put in place on the pyramid. I mean, you know, come on. And and they don't even have anything like that when we're talking about these megalithic sites in Central and South America, which is where I want to go next because Jared is still with us from his, uh, his mobile <laughs> command center hidden away somewhere in Central time frame. Um, so, uh, Jared, welcome back, man. Yeah. There is, um, <laughs> I think, uh, Graham, Han Graham Hancock said it was 6.2 or 6.5 million blocks at two minutes a block. Yeah. The, the number came out to like 26 or 28 years. Mind you, it wasn't to just lay the block. It was to cut it, transport it and set it <laughs> from miles away from miles oh, away. Oh Yeah. The quarry ain't around the block. It's not like they're cut it and it's not like Coral <laughs> Castle, you right. know, where they cut it and throw it up, cut it and throw it up. No, no, no. Transport it and uh, hundreds of miles. And, yeah. and, and again, the nubs, an exterior polygonal system and a very mysterious, a lot of people don't know this. And this is uh, from my archaeologist friends very machined finished casing layers are very tucked away that you can bribe your way in and see of the actual finished layer. And it's, and it's very, very, very specific in width and dimension. It is not hand done. And on it are machined looking hieroglyphs. Like it could have been covered in a giant instruction set in case of massive shut off. So you're Here's talking the about the casing, the casing stones that were once on those pyramids. Yeah, but when we say the word stone, we think, oh, yeah, big giant round or big polygonal stone. I'm talking about a very specific width and not a stone like a ball or a giant polygonal block, a right. very machined level thick, like a countertop laid on that may have had oh, – wow. uh, High, machine hieroglyphs that showed 
again, it could have told a story or likely it could have just said whatever you needed to know about that construction. I think these people were just generally like our people, us. I think in our past, we were very disaster, uh, very aware of our place in the galaxy in the solar system. We very much knew that it is a possibility that we could destroy ourselves. It was very important that, yeah. that, that, they, that they manage like total catastrophic failure. Well, let's jump back across the Atlantic over to Central and South America. And you bring up machining marks and things like that. And I know there are the what they call the saw blade marks in, in the tubular drills in Egypt. Yep. They're Coming all over, over toward, South America. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Is there evidence of that same type of, of machining? Uh, all or over. are we looking at geopolymers and something else? All the above. It's the okay. same stuff. There's geopolymer patching on the Great Pyramid. There's tubular drills all over Central and South America. You have it in Peru. You have it. You have it everywhere. And it's not, um, you know, it's not. It, it's just there's no letting up of it. It's like I said, the most interesting ruins in in. Belize are near where we're going to be, very close to where we're going to be. One is clearly polygonal in nature, and it looks just like the stuff in Peru. And the nubbing and megalithic block and uh, cut marks, tubular drilling, well, not the tubular, but the construction that is north of where we're going to be, again, about the same distance as the one that's south. And again, both are relatively within 10 miles of where we are. We are. Um, and that's Tiwanaku right there. And those are possible geopolymers. And that's what Dr. Joseph David Ovitz was looking at. Not that specific stone, but that's right. Tiwanaku. And, so, and, yeah. Th this is in the famous H blocks as well. This is a Pumapunku uh, block, it says. Uh, yeah. So Tiwanaku, Pumapunku, they're basically sister sites. They're right next to, they're basically. I think it's one giant complex. I don't, I, I don't really think they're, they did some stuff in the sixties and seventies and eighties, which was really bad the way they rebuilt it. These are these two sites. It's weird that they, they say them separately. Yes. They're separate. Tiwanaku, Pumapunku, they are separately named, but they're both next to each other. And that's just a few. There was like six H blocks. And here's the problem with the H blocks. Each one of those, they're not identical, but right. they do look machined. The issue to me is how quickly and easily could they cast them or change the sizes with impunity? I don't Absolutely. think it was hard. For them. Yeah. I don't think it was hard for them to make a mold. No, I mean, they look either they were a mold. I'm thinking like some type of nub situation, maybe that they would use. What's, what's the correct term for that? A keystone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they call them the H blocks and, what they like to point out is that the H blocks were, you know, oh, they're all the same and they plug together. And it's like, well, you only got six of them. And then the site is half buried in mud. So there could be a more H blocks and B, if they can do what you saw at Saxe Oman, why would they not be able to cast a block themselves and just change it by dimensionally by inches or millimeters or, yeah. or, or, or micro and then end up with uh uh, where we're at 
Well, you know, I'm looking at these two, and, and for people listening, these are the mysterious blocks of Puma Punku, and uh, they're the famous H blocks. But I'm wondering, dude, we're we're always shown pictures of things in a certain orientation. I'm wondering what is the original orientation that these things should be. I'm wondering if this should not be the base and these areas right here would connect to a bottom stone. Like this would, this area here would be the top of some type of a structure. And they just have these sitting on their sides to show you the intricate internal workings of the stone. But yeah, it, we don't it looks like a block you would pick up, flip, you know, so that this is on the bottom and set and lock into place in these areas here. I don't know. I, just, I think, no, you're totally on the right track of the way to think about this. I agree. Who says that they weren't horizontal or vertical? They yeah. were not up and down. What if they were sideways? And then one of the arguments will be is, hey, a team uh, LIDAR scanned a bunch of exposed blocks and then built a model. There's like an incomplete um, uh. model of this. And, but, and, and Eric Von Danigan, I've, I've met with him a couple of times and uh, he, uh, he also has done a really cool three-dimensional graphic of this. And it really comes out to uh, that perhaps you could have turned them, like you said on the side that they click together left or right. Mm -hmm. And also Brian Forrester has on multiple occasions taken compasses and and assorted other just general metering and you know the dial goes nuts that yeah. it's almost like they were also electromagnetic like they were like they were magnetized in a way to stick maybe together that that not maybe the only source because they also have keystone cuts there same thing that's where we are going in central and in south america and in and in greece and in sardinia and in egypt and in angkor wat and all over the world there's keystone cuts. So there's like these little grooves that connect the giant stones that can't possibly be because it's helping them stay together. But if you have a giant electromagnetic machine and you want connectivity between the different types of mixed elements and crystal and other metals in the stone, well, perhaps the keystone metals, which we've done no material science checking on, we're just like, yeah, they heated up metal in between loincloth making and poured metal clips in between all of them i just like you said is yeah. it, it, it's just it's astounding what they're asking you to believe i was the same way as a kid by the way for for those listening i wanted to be indiana jones i had zero interest as a child in caring about loincloth people dragging blocks to make giant altars <laughs> Like my interest, that that was not my interest as a kid. Like that sounded lame. Who cared? I didn't look at those giant, giant, giant blocks as massively weathered, uh, high-tech engineered silicrete uh, yeah. structures at Stonehenge that were part of a giant building that no longer exists. You know, I didn't, I didn't look at it like that. Yeah. Did I lose you guys? No. Who's in the chat? <laughs> What's in the chat? Hello? 
Well, Dorothy just said uh, the H blocks is kind of weird that a modern letter we use today was used in the building with uh, in the ancient past. And then she said, could they be I blocks? And exactly. See, Dorothy, you're exactly in my head when you say that, because just because we see something today oriented a certain way doesn't mean that's, you know, we call it an H block, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean it was, you know, supposed to be an H, you know, it could be the top of a structure, the, the side of a structure that connected. I mean, um, it's fascinating, but we, we get locked into these things. Like one of my favorite things is, and I was showing Jared this before was, um, the tombs of, uh, where if you look at how those black boxes are aligned under the sand, these huge black boxes, and they're, they're offset from each other. Like there's one, and then you got to go diagonally across the hall and there's another one. And if you look at it from above, you start thinking, man, that looks like a, a circuit board pattern or some type of a, uh, Jared, how did you describe it when we were talking about it? You you really described that really well, and I'll look for the image. Well, like I'm a hyperbolic, about. like their hyperbolic chambers, and their um, you know, of those stone boxes, there's uh, there some are thirty something tons, some are sixty something tons, and the ones they found in the other rooms that you don't get to see because they're not available to tour, but you can get in there privately. Some of mm-hmm. them are, uh over 123 tons and they have lids that are made out of their single pieces. They're, they're made out of single pieces, but it, but it very much looks like you're on a circuit board or something. And of the tone system we're looking at everyone, we have to be careful. Some of this could be dynastic Egyptian work. Um, it, it, it could be add-ons like the original purpose and inner uh, material here, we, we don't have an answer as to what they are. But what's interesting about yeah. material, when I said material science, the Christopher Dunn, who I've had the pleasure of meeting and, uh, and uh, exchanging ideas with, this, uh, the one that you famously can see a picture of him in with the, his airplane precision instruments, measuring right. how perfect these whatever these things are, these boxes, which again are 30, 60 something to 123 tons with lids that are made out of the same block. They have a a material, a substance. It's not polishing from a hard machine polisher and buffing. There is an epoxy, some sort of chemical epoxy that no one's tested Correct. So what, what is it? And, and it's clear that it's not, Oh, it's a honey mix that they no, It's not honey. <laughs> okay. It's a, uh, it, it, it's something that hidden in plain sight, very advanced technology that clearly was part of a system where these, was this a medical chamber? Was this a place for catastrophic human body failure? where a frequency energy society that's terraformed the planet has not only an energy machine, but a hospital system that these are chambers that you could, 
I, I'm I'm fascinated with how every box is offset from the one across the hallway from it. Usually when people build something so precise, like when we build airplanes, for example, we use that precision of machining. There's a reason for it. You don't do it because it costs a lot of money, you know, to, to make the tools, to make something so precise. So if you look at granite boxes that we probably could not do today without spending multi-millions of dollars and doing it in multiple pieces, but these people did it except for the uh, the tops of these granite boxes, they're all one piece. And you set them underground in yep. this grand gallery. And for whatever reason in your mind, your design had to include that they needed to be offset from each other. So there's many what? more than these, remember? So grand gallery is a, like we're, we're, we're trying to be analytical, but off of, well, yeah, so there's like known imaging there, right? Right. But there are doors at the end and there's connecting tunnels to areas that they that you only get out of certain researchers. And then I've met uh, the people who have been behind the big double doors to go into the other sections where there are multiple other. Um, it's not just one long gallery of them and it's not just the side photo. There are more chambers with more. There are more boxes and more chambers. And so we're imagining and theorizing. I want to keep people open that we're only looking at a section. The 123-ton yes. box isn't even in this picture. I mean, there's 60-ton boxes, which, I mean, this is ludicrous. Tens of thousands of pounds, a single, totally, strangely epoxy-finished hyperbolic chamber boxes. What would they put in here or what yeah. came out of them? Oh, wait a minute, Jared. I know what they put in there. They put, put in their <laughs> dead bulls because oh, yeah, that's, right. that's what you want to do. <laughs> in, the spirit, in the spirit of uh, of the Holy Grail, pull the other one. Yeah, it's just, it's just crazy reference. to me. You, you can't, I, I don't know, you, you can't put a society to work and create such an elaborate, precise objects and they have no they have no outside meaning other than what archaeologists always call temples oh it's a temple it's the it's the sphinx temple it's it's the mayan temple it's always a temple we don't understand it it's a temple (laughs) i've decided that i i i thought it would be almost too crude or crass but honestly i believe they were early i mean what did you get in a temple you got priestess dancers wearing coconut bikinis so you know basically <laughs> these are all strip clubs on every right. other block <laughs> that's, that's what they are that's what they Think are about that folks yeah they're just like we need another temple you mean another hooters another right. yeah she's losing everybody it. needs more chicken wings yeah yeah i'm there for the wings yep. yeah so absolutely got a, you know you're wayne it's a picture of this you and i are hungry we've been hunting deer all day I'm thinking we move 60 ton blocks and we build another strip club. Absolutely. I mean, temple. And we got a couple friends that can help us. So, you know, we can yep. be, we can have that done in 25 years or so. Yeah. And you know what? We already got 800 other ones on every other block. Cause we're the holiest yeah. society on the planet in between murder and killing. But um, hey, damn and it. you know what, Jared, you know what else we're going to do? We're going to make sure that we align <laughs> these, these strip clubs 
to almost true north, and then we're gonna and then we're gonna align them to other megalithic uh, strip clubs around the planet, so that they follow very precise lines and myths. So everybody the, can always find a strip club with their wings. Wait, I just want to say right here, right now, on our communal shows, we have discovered the format yep. to be on the largest drunk pub crawl ever invented <laughs> because as long as you've got a compass and you're not blind drunk you can stumble your way to the next club because you know right. you know the geometry the sacred stumble geometry to That's the right. next sacred club even if you got to go by boat like you got drunk sailors like no seriously we'll go to the next island we'll make it because <laughs> we know we're going to hit another temple I, yeah Jared, look, man, he told me if we got Don't on a raft and we left Peru and we yep. go west, we're going to find an island. Are you ready for this? <clears throat> Gigantic yep. heads buried on a desert like island. <clears throat> but what? It's the best strip club out in the middle of the Pacific, man. Yeah. We just we what? just got to make it. We just got to make I it, man. With you the wings are tonight. phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. You got to uh, look, we've, <laughs> I've had good wings before, but been around the world. And this is just uh, clearly what we have time for is building temple after temple after temple. Nothing else to think about. Oh, wait, Wayne, we forgot about one thing. Hey, I've been looking at these 18 stars above my head. Let's not only align them on all of our sacred uh, geometry for this, but uh, our stumbling drunk tour but let's also place the pyramids or let's place these clubs in reference to star patterns. Yeah. There's just let's really play a joke on them, Jared. Let's go ahead and, and align these quote unquote, they'll think they're temples, man, but okay. Let, <laughs> yep. Let's, let's, uh, let's not just line them up with stars, but let's line them up to stars that were in the sky at a certain point, 26,000 years ago. How about that, and man? Not- That'll mess with them. That, that'll mess with them. Yeah. They'll know we did it for upright and ethical reasons and not because we wanted a shaking priestess on every corner. <laughs> I mean, where are but you going to get that many banana star maps? <laughs> yep. So I, I just, I it just, it's overwhelming. This is the, where we've I mean, gone people. We haven't gone. And I think, look, the anthropology of this, for everyone out there, in all seriousness, poke a hole in the cover of a book um, and say, I'm going to theorize the words in the book, uh, let alone the story. Like you could pick words out of it. Say, I bet you there's a number of ands and twos and four. But I, I, I think the idea of the way we've gone at sites, archaeology, like the, we grew up, you and I, all of us on this, we grew up with uh, the idea that there was only 6 million people, maybe four to 6 million that maybe made it to the land bridge. And now, uh, you know, they built all the pyramids in South America and Central America, and there was four to 6 million people. Well, we, we sat on that for how many, 70, 80, 100 years, and now along comes LIDAR, and, and the quotes are, we've grossly, uh, literally mums the word, by the way. We have South American archaeologists saying, 
17 to 20 something million based on the National Geographic article about the 60,000 buildings in, per, in Guatemala. Guatemala is a great place, but that was not central to all the ruins that are in Central and South America. And if they're saying 17 to 20 million just off of that, if we had proper LIDAR scans and we were properly estimating, the truth is we have no idea about our dynastic populations. We have no idea about the true scale of their societies. And also for those of you that didn't know this, uh, Mohammed Ibrahim, who I got to interview and meet, who um, again, those Serapium and the, and the boxes and the things that we were just talking about, th this is the Egyptian language, the ancient language is only 63. He gave it over 62% translated. So what do you do when you only, I'm not trying to be half empty, but you don't even fully understand a dynastic lang ancient language. You definitely don't understand all the machining and the drill holes that are from here to Peru to Central and South America in the other countries. And you have this ancient engineered soil. So we are grossly misunderstanding our past. Yep. And it is mind benningly for all those out there. I mean, we're de-stressing, but for what Wayne, what we're saying about the, the, the temple comparison is that, it's not that people weren't really into spirituality or that you have more time when you're not on uh, Netflixing and chilling. Uh, these are very active people whose daily survival was an activity. Um, they may have had established societies, but there, there, there was daily morning to night activity to have things in your life, to keep life functioning. And the idea that they were any more, uh, holy, sacred, or that they had more time for prayer than we do is an absurdity, I, I think, on one on one layer. And then on another is just that for us to understand these um, really complex human beings, that they were not simply uh, overly, uneducatedly, mysteriously excited about the stars or about worshiping i i think it's undervaluing the complexity of these ancient societies yeah. even the ones that were in the loincloths right i mean there we have multiple types of human civilizations on earth right now we have places in the amazon where there's very primitive people running around in uh, what is it sentinel island uh, that is sealed off to anybody modern because the mm -hmm. the indigenous people there will will kill you and eat you. I mean, you know, they're the, at the same time. I mean, and and we haven't even talked about like Neanderthal in in or Neanderthal and in, in the intermixing of humans and and what went on with that because obviously we did that and, and then you know Mount. Uh, Mount Toba, right? The 76,000 yep. years ago eradicated everybody except about, well, according to the British Botanica, anywhere from about 4,000 mating pair to about 10,000 mating pair of humans. That's all that was left on the whole planet. Yeah. So, at least from our understanding of DNA. Yeah. Yeah. So what were we doing before that? Obviously we were doing something because here's all the, yeah. here's all the yeah. stuff, you know, and, and then they sit there and tell us that the, the diorite balls were for pounding limestone, you know, that would destroy your hands and kill you in about 10 years and make your hands, 
you know, not operational, you know, after using them. And I don't know if anybody realizes this or not, but you kind of need your hands to survive in a primitive world. And so I don't know. I would really love to find a, a hidden section somewhere under a pyramid or something and what's in there but some ancient tools that we've never seen before. That's, I think would be the pure, that the real treasure of instructions or some type of tools that they used to create both across the Atlantic, you know, either way pyramids in Egypt or in South America or Central America. So that, that would be the true, true great find. And, and speaking of that, what, let, let's use the last like 15 minutes or so. Let's just focus on Belize. So what are you guys starting out with when you get there? Well, there's, um, you know, we have a road that's uh, very long, seven miles. And we have, um, you know, use satellite imaging to identify where you should and shouldn't go. And yeah, by the way, do you want to explain how this is not a tour? Like, you know, going over to Egypt and spending two weeks looking at things. Oh yeah. Yeah. So look, and I think everyone should do that. Myself included, super valuable to look at it with, uh, on, on, you know, natural history museum eyes, but we are not going on a tour. We're doing what creates tour groups. We are, uh, going literally into razor grass it's called razor grass for a reason with machetes this isn't a uh, a trail that is rated on a hiking map we are not going we are going to untamed land we are going to unexplored land we are not going to a park yeah we're going to park yeah we're going to go to those two ruin sites that i was telling you about we'll be filming and doing things um to see what we think of these uh, tourist sites. That's, you know, we're gonna go visit those. This is not, where we're going to be is not what this is that we're doing. We're, we are hacking our own way, making our own trails, making our own paths, and we'll be hiking around areas that no one's been on that we know of in modern times. And to do work to really uh, uncover what could be, again, part of a story that will not only expand dynastic knowledge and continue to prove that there were likely tens of millions of people and populations in this area, but also why is it that there's terra preta? Why is it that there's engineered soil? Why is there nubbed buildings like in Egypt and in Peru? Why are they here in Belize? What, who, who was here before the Mayans and uh, just being able to lay a road in untamed land requires, you got to know where to put it and you need to know where you're looking and what you're doing. And, and we're trying to use satellite imaging and to locate where we should and shouldn't, you know, run the bulldozer. And we have to make sure of those things because you don't want to destroy something. You know, you want to try to use the land in a way where you're going to be able to get onto it even just this preliminary work is extremely difficult. And we did, we did ironically I want to thank everyone. We did raise a little bit of money on GoFundMe. Uh, yeah. 
and we did um uh the expenses are only going up <laughs> yeah so speaking of that come on everybody get over there to gofundme you can find the link down in the show description to be a part of the expedition to belize and uh you can see here they raised almost a hundred dollars um, and you know jared <laughs> It's it's a hundred almost a hundred dollars, but um, you know, and and people can leave a comment like you know this guy Wayne Braden. I don't know he pledged ten bucks and uh, uh, who uh Zen <laughs> Zen Astra said you know kudos and best wishes to y'all. Looking forward to developments. And then this Wayne Braden guy said something about Jared is a sexy beast. <laughs> Get him, Jared, I, Jim, Michael, I, and team. So there I you go. I saw him in a club. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, come on, people. Get out there. You know, donate some money because, Jared, what would like $20 for a worker uh, uh, get you down there, man? $25 gets us a Bushman all day to hack at razor grass. And it's, it does exactly what it sounds like. Very sharp. It also gets us uh, hacking at trees, vines, and mangrove. Uh, what people don't understand is the land we're going to, it could take a few hours to move a hundred feet or 200 feet or 500 yeah. feet, not knowing what you run into. The reality is that it could take a significant amount of time just to move to the different areas that we're trying to identify, which, and then the imaging, uh, you have to understand that every single person going down has paid their own way. We've paid our own everything this isn't a funded trip so right. ironically the money that you see on gofundme is funded money um we have multiple medical kits and those medical kits cost that i mean like the money's gone i mean it's there but it's gone you know it's it's just to put together having emergency medical just to you know be able to super glue a wound together um, you got to think about those things, how you wash them out. You know, that's not the glory, fun, sexy side of this kind of expedition, but yeah. then travel, uh, getting a boat to take us in and out. Uh, we're doing sonar topography mapping. Uh, just want to see what's under the water. Go visit where there's haunted Island. Uh, it's a snake. It's also called snake Island. There's like places we're going to go that have established ruin sites. And again, you know, we're going to be curious, but we're also, trying to look at new things to be curious about and, and, and hike and get into the dirt for what has never been looked at. So there, there's a lot of layers to it. And of course, you know, we'll explain everyone, we'll explain it to everyone after we're there and after we, um, yeah. you know, get back and, you know, we don't want to spoil it all, but definitely everyone on your site and you guys are going to hear about it first. Yes, for sure. Yes, it'll be new breaking news and hopefully changing history. At least uh, uh, get get some eyes on this and some attention on this that you know people have been saying for years. And this this goes way back, and uh, this really deserves some funding, some very important people to help this group get this stuff started and. Uh, you know, it, it, it's really important. And Jared and I have had this conversation before. Michelle and I are both teachers. And one of the things I've really wanted to do with this information in Jared's book is be able to present this stuff to 
younger students to get them interested in not just history, but ancient history and building lesson plans and working with Jared and especially some of the new information and, and uh, exploration they're doing. But um, yeah, this is, this is not a tour, man. This is, this is hard work. You're going down there to, to work. So Jared, what's yeah. one of the, the, most important or, or on, at the top of the list type of experiment that you guys are going to want to get conducted within the first, I don't know, week. You're down there two weeks or 10 days, right? And In the so, field, well, 14, yeah, 14 days, 11 yeah. days in the field. Yeah. So what what's at the top of the list? Like your first, you know, your top three experiments that you guys want to pull off? Well, I have a, I, I would like to, look into the conductivity or the current capacity of polygonal constructions, which I've never seen a video or anyone even try to imagine. Um, would like to, of course, the engineered soil, Terra Preta, we want to find that. Uh, even though it looks like it has been spotted by the Bushmen that are doing the well. Um, and yeah, to Diane's point, uh, we do want we so we have varied international service so i think maybe wayne we should plan on connecting up every channel including nikki anna jones and dark hour and we'll we'll do a simulcast and try yes. to get uh people a reasonable update that doesn't uh spoil too much from um our video record Absolutely. But, we can use, we can use our channel and, you know, have you guys come in and log in and we will simulcast it out man, for sure. Yeah. And then um, there is some uh, metaphysical work going on. I don't want to discount that. There's going to be work going on with channeling. There's going to be work going on with uh, dowsing. There was, there, there is going to be work going on with just, there's, just as much openness and interest in the alternative, you know, genetic memory, uh, collective consciousness, like what does the group feel and think, you know, there's, we're going down, you know, very like factual satellite, you know, topography, you know, like logical, yeah, you know, image spectral banding. You've got, you've got one side that's like the hardcore science aspect of it. And the other side, which is the more esoteric type yep. of, but what's great is, is that it's, the two groups of people working together. I think that's awesome. I don't think that's ever truly been done before in a situation like this. I mean, this is all groundbreaking, yeah. man, which is super exciting to be a part of. Yeah. I'm super glad. I can't thank you guys both enough for your support and just getting it out there and for everyone listening. And for those that watch this later, when it's recorded, every single one of you are part of the search and rescue of our past. It's your own hunches, your own memories, your own, your own dreams, your own lucid dreaming, your own uh, conscious um, instincts towards, you know, look over here, look over there. Or I have a feeling about this or something I recall deja vu. There's a million different ways that you may uh, participate. And, and not all of it is uh, something you can just write down because, you know, some magnetic meter, magnetometer set of, or, you know, there, there's not always a, registerable uh calculative uh information flow it, it it is going to come to us in broken and 
uh, disconnected ways and we have to be open to collect everyone's information. So those of you out there that are part of this, just every layer of participation, even, even in your own thought stream, this is something that is part of an awakening and part of something that we are only at the tip of the iceberg on. Yeah. Yeah. So I think with that, Jared, uh, we're going to have to wrap this up. Michelle and I have been going at it with this state testing today for, for a very long time today. So it's like, uh, yeah, I think we need to to wrap this one up and um, everybody watching and listening again. Thank you. Future listeners are going to be listening to this. Um, hopefully we'll get a, you know, a few thousand downloads on the podcast within the next couple of days. I'll get people interested and, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's just huge. This is, this is groundbreaking stuff and hopefully, um, nobody gets their toes stepped on too bad because we have a rogue group, uh, going to check out this area, but you know what? Hey, somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. So no pressure. No pressure, man. No pressure. But um, all right, Jared, we're going to uh, go ahead and send you to the back here for a minute as we get ready to sign off. So thank you, I man, will. for joining us and doing the, the, I guess, multi-stream man to your channel and everybody in your channel. Thank you very much for joining us. I was going to say, Jared, will be back soon. He's going to have a lot to disclose. Oh, yeah. Plus, yeah. we're, we're going to help stream those live yeah. streams from Belize. So we'll, we'll get that coordinated. It won't be that, that hard, I don't think. But all right, Jared, we'll talk to you in a minute. All right, Michelle. Whew. You said it earlier. Jared's got so much information. He's such a wealth of information. Well, and sometimes and when the you, humor, know, you just sit there and go, oh, when the humor man. comes out. Yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, you know what? It's that time. Yeah, let's go looking for some chicken wings before we go to bed because, you know, it's time for that. But all right, everybody. I will be up for 24 hours. Yes. Yes. It's, man, state testing sucks. But okay, everybody, we're going to be out of here. Thank you for joining us. And uh, you'll be hearing more from us. Don't forget this Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time, we'll have even fasted on so have a great night everyone yep have a great night and remember keep your eyes to that sky yeah <laughs> now just to find our outro 